Hello and welcome back to the Authentic Artistry podcast with me, Kitty Bazalgette, as your host. This is the podcast in which we explore what it means to find authenticity as a performer. How do we find it? How do we express it on stage? And to try and answer just some of those questions that it throws up for yourself in the process. All of the things that don't quite fit into a minute and a half video on Instagram. Now grab yourself a cup of something and let's get into the podcast. Having originally started her career as a classical singer, Marthe Blom was forced to choose a different direction with her life after an unsuccessful operation on her vocal cords. Her fascination for human interaction and development led her to further her studies with a formation in haptotherapy, a form of mind-body oriented therapy. Now she works as a performance coach, having worked with musicians from major orchestras all over the Netherlands, and teaches workshops in the Conservatory of Amsterdam and teaches regularly at Artes, the class of stage awareness. Matt, it's lovely to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Oh, thank you. So we start usually with, with a few questions that I ask all of the guests who come on here. The first one, <coughs> what does authentic artistry mean to you? Oh, great question. When I can actually see somebody's soul or somebody's uh, motivation or or fire or just this inner motivated uh, force that is so interesting to watch when somebody performs. So that's one of the things. And I think also a very sort of high professional level, so very skillful, but not just for the sake of being skillful. The, the great technique or the, the great voice or the great tone supports the, 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 the soul of the performer. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. I, lo- I really love that idea of being able to show your soul, express from your soul in the moment of performance, I think is, yeah, it's such a beautiful thing and really yeah. creates the magic on stage. Yeah. Next question. What are three qualities or capabilities in other musicians or creatives that inspire you? Definitely say uh, sort of this vulnerable quality. So um, that someone is able to to move me Mm. in the instant to um, exude uh, joy that I don't feel like I'm looking at a sort of a trained, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to say like circus animal, but but sometimes it feels forced. And, and so I really enjoy watching singers or players that that I can feel their, yeah, their their flow, their, their pleasure in what they're doing. Yeah, like I already said, like they really sort of, the technique is just their uh, their vessel. So I, I'm, I don't want to be worried about is this piece difficult or not. So it's this combination, I think. Yeah, this idea that the technique is a means to an artistic end rather than yeah. the goal itself. Yeah, exactly. And also how they're maybe able to regulate themselves. How, you know, it's it's fine if you see somebody that is nervous, but somehow they can you know, go past that fact. So I, I, some great artists like Horowitz, they, they were famously nervous, 
But once they were in the music, as a listener, you you totally forget about that. Mm-hmm. Able to withstand the moments of pressure and yeah. and keep going through. Question three, what was the last concert that you went to? <laughs> I went yesterday to a concert, but that was of um, a soul and funk uh, band. Cool. So not a classical concert. Doesn't it doesn't have to be classical. And the difference between the support act and the main act was so big because the support act, they didn't have like a good chemistry together. And the, the way the, the guy spoke to the audience just got the energy like out. And you felt the whole mm-hmm. hall was a bit like, yeah, it's nice. And then the main act came and something completely different happened. It was like a... Like everybody got up and um, they they just put all the energy into the music and into the singing and and they did it for for maybe one and a half hours you know and that was just amazing so and this was really interesting to watch sort of the difference between yeah sure fine they were good players in the support act and and nothing was wrong but. For some reason, if you don't put energy in or if you don't love it yourself, it's you can just feel it and the audience reacts to it. And, and in a pop concert, it's even more clear because people react with, with clapping and, you know, like cheering more than in a classical setting, actually. If you could have dinner with any musician, performer or, or creative throughout history, living or, or dead, who would it be and why? It's like, oh, I'm thinking like maybe Maria Callas or maybe Igor Stravinsky or... Few people have had a, a, a small dinner party. So if, if you're struggling <laughs> to choose one, you can invite a couple more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Maria Callas would definitely be interesting uh, because of her, how she would take on a role, but actually really connected her being to that role and how diverse the roles were and how she could change that, how she could really live in the skin of that uh, character. And that would be interesting to to talk about although she did talk about that in interviews and it's it's really clear how her sort of sensitivity and maybe also her pain in her life like she could use that to put in these roles and I think so in that way it's interesting to talk to to these people and also if they were aware of how they use their their own pain uh, in these dramatic roles for instance I think you can clearly hear it, but it would be so interesting to talk with people like that about the aware, the level of awareness on how they use their humanity in their music. That would interest me. Final question. Um, how would you describe your work to someone who's never met you before? That I try to help musicians uh, to be more relaxed in their bodies and in their thoughts and how they can connect that so if there's for instance pain in their shoulders you know maybe they put too much pressure on themselves so to help them understand 
how, how to regulate also their nervous systems and how to be actually closer to themselves when you're in a bit more relaxed state in your body it's also easier to feel yourself to be connected to yourself and from that place it's actually also easier to make choices what you want musically or to listen better to your colleagues or to to notice tension in your arms in your shoulders in, in your neck so it's it's really the physical and the yeah mental or psychological approach so it's really and it it can come from both ways sometimes people come to me with physical complaints sometimes they feel you know bothered by their constant uh, thoughts on on perfection or that kind of thing so when I explain it to people that are, for instance, not musicians, they always say like, oh, but we need this as well because I work in a company and I have to do presentations on my, on the, the numbers and I feel that pressure as well. So they can relate. So, yeah, I think yeah. It's, it's definitely, also I notice it a lot in you know, some of the things that I talk about on, on social media and yeah. I have some friends who, who follow me and then they follow me to support me, but they're not musicians. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they, but they often say to me, "Oh, yeah, it really helps me as well." Like yeah. this, this, these ideas that I think they become more evident to us as musicians because we know we need to free up that space to be yes. the most efficient in in playing and expressing and mm-hmm. yeah, free to communicate. Yeah, but it, yeah, also. I think it's actually a very human thing that we are trying to, to, to do. Absolutely. Because the pressure is just high in general, I think, on, on everyone. And, and this whole idea of having to do well, whatever that means, uh, yeah, uh, gives people a lot of pressure. And, and uh, I think it, in general, I'm, I'm not sure, but, but our nervous systems... Uh, are quite sort of alert most of the time also because I think also social media plays a part and how we maybe lost contact to nature as as urban hardworking people so um, and I think that goes for most people like like there's something to be learned and breathing and not having to focus on work the whole time or on more 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 whatever enjoyment of slowing down and yeah taking stillness yeah that's nicely put yeah exactly mm. yeah i i mentioned in the introduction that that in a in a former life you were you were a classical singer before having the surgery what was what was your life looking like so I, when I was a kid, I saw Queen of the Night from Zauberflöte uh, on TV, and I think it was about 10. And that's when I decided that I wanted to be an opera singer. I, I was just like, like lightning, you know, so that's what I want to do. And uh, then we sang with the school choir in the productions of the uh, Netherlands Opera here. And so then I met uh somebody who was a singing teacher there and i went for singing lessons at 14 and she was quite she was a real good teacher really um 
uh, yeah, she built me up quite nicely. And she said, I think you can try for the conservatory. And then I went there at 17 and they took me in, uh, in the photoplating, the pre-bachelor. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I did the conservatory with ups and downs, like, like, um, because I started out quite talented and because I had really good singing lessons and I thought, oh, now I entered the conservatory, things will only be better. But as it goes in real life, I wasn't so lucky. And after a few years, I sort of didn't, you know, like I had no idea how to sing. And then I changed teacher and in the end, I, I finished quite nicely. I don't know. And after the conservatory, I just did a lot of like freelance work. And there was so much work then. It was a totally different situation. Like we did everything from small operas in Germany in a beautiful hotel to weddings and parties and also like serious productions. I had a freelance job at the radio choir and I had a freelance job at the opera choir. So I had a lot of work as a singer, which was great, but I also sort of oversang myself. So I had a, I was doing two productions at the same time. And then I also had a gig that was outside and I had a little bit of a cold, but I felt like, yeah, a little bit is not enough to cancel. So also my whole attitude was like, you don't cancel, just go on, mm -hmm. like don't whine. You know this this attitude i would not recommend it now but this is <laughs> how how i did it um how how useful re uh, retrospective now uh-huh yeah <laughs> yeah but i i have a lot of retrospect and introspection because of this surgery i mean that brought me actually a lot i mean it, it was of course painful to lose my voice because so then I had to have surgery because I had a small nodule thingy and this doctor just uh, cut basically a, a healthy piece of my vocal cords he, he he just cut away like way too much it was a mess and um, of course it was a very weird time because he said like no you'll be singing in six weeks but my voice didn't come back like nothing. So then slowly we discovered that something went wrong over a period of, I don't know, it became clear, I think after a month or two months or, and then this whole thing with a lawsuit started and I felt like, oh, okay, well, so this is my life now, then I should do something else. I immediately started thinking about doing other stuff and I didn't take any time to reflect on what happened. Yeah, because I was I wanted to ask, like, what was what was that process like of the kind of two months before realizing that you, you weren't gonna be able that I think that it was longer wrong? Yeah, that must have been longer because I, I kept hope for a long time. The hope was that you you would you would get your voice back so yeah. there wasn't really a thought of something has gone wrong no that that took months i think because i went to a speech therapy i went to my singing lessons maybe for like half hour 20 minutes half hour a few times a week just to sort of to try to get it going 
So, um, but it didn't work. It was like a like an elastic band that wouldn't stretch anymore. Mm. So, so nothing happened, and and of course, then he tried to deny it and tried to. Well, the hospital was being very difficult with uh, because of course we we were talking about money. All of a sudden, I didn't have any money anymore because I was a freelancer, and I always had lots of money, but because I worked a lot, and all of a sudden I had no work, nothing. So I was just at home, and then this whole back and forth thing started about money and about insurance, and that was just awful. And then. Mm. I collapsed, I think. So this operation was in March 2004. And I think by the time of August, I kind of had a breakdown. Like I couldn't do anything anymore. I thought I had fibrous disease. Now I realized that was like a burnout. Like I could Mm. not do anything anymore. Like my body just completely gave up. So if I would just go to the kitchen to get a glass of water, I would be like exhausted was a very weird experience and I could not understand what was happening I was trying to command my body to you know get a life don't be like this <laughs> oh what a what an idiot you know like I was really trying to do everything I teach people now not to do you know in, in my upbringing it was sort of like you know don't whine also so, as singers I, I I think we're so used to be to being quite perceptive with changes in our body mm-hmm. and and used to wanting it to do what what we command it to do so in the moment yes. that even basic tasks seem <laughs> seem impossible it, it it's kind of this shock of of reality of, of what is actually yes. happening from what you want it to do yes exactly and it's so weird because it's all internal it's like you cannot command your vocal cords but you can train them of course and like now we know that in the brain, it takes about three, four weeks to make these new uh, pathways in our brain. So it now we understand so much more about this matter that you cannot change it in one time. You need to, to feel things, to do it again, to repeat, like cycling. You need to get into that uh, motion. But, but then I just had to deal with the fact that I could not come on anything anymore. So I basically had to learn how to let go and to accept my life as it is. And and from there, well, I, I went into therapy myself and then I decided to be a therapist, like a haptotherapist, because that's body and mind. And my psychotherapist said, this is an interesting thing to do. Yeah, she said, out of all the... Because she was like totally not into alternative medicine. She was like diehard scientific. Uh, she said, this, this is the one that makes sense. Yeah. She says it's not a uh, floaty area. It's really about, yeah, also the body and the mind. Like we are, of course, one system. And it made it just made sense. And so what was the process of, of training as a haptotherapist like? <laughs> difficult <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I felt so out of place there because I really uh, maybe okay I thought it wouldn't be airy floaty maybe but I felt really the first two years I 
I had a lot of resistance because there were many people there crying the whole time and feeling things. And of course, I, of course, I wasn't so. I I always thought you know like rational power is the power. You know. <laughs> It's yeah. so funny to hear that about you because uh, I I know you a bit and also I've had sessions with you myself. So I also <laughs> know that you're very much connected with the, you know, the, yeah, the soul and the essence of the person. Yes. You're very empath empathic. Yeah. So it's really funny for me to imagine this former version of Mark that's like very <laughs> rational, logical. <laughs> yeah, don't whine. I always felt that, that these people, you know, crying, I was like, oh, again, the crying, you know. So... It was really fun. I, I come from, let's say, completely the other end. So that also makes me actually more empathic because I totally understand when people are, are resisting this. Mm. I get it. I'm I'm from that camp. I, I, I remember people in the conservatory when I was still, still studying uh, singing, they went to a haptotherapist. There was a haptotherapist then that was she wasn't connected to, through the school but she was connected through my teacher like uh, my teacher it was Margrethe Honig and she referred uh, some students to to this haptotherapist so I would ask them so what do you do there and they said yeah it's with breathing and feeling and your body was like okay I'm never gonna go there that sounds like way too um, yeah <laughs> out there for me <laughs> So, so I, I did have a lot of resistance in the beginning of the haptotherapy education, and and but some things were just really good. We had uh, development psychology and sex, sexuality, sexuality, like to do with intimacy and yeah, and yeah, we call it sexuology. Well, we had that, and we had a psychiatrist who would speak about his work and. Uh, so we had real interesting people coming to the classes and um, yeah, so so in the end, I felt like, yes, it's a good uh, direction. Can you explain a little bit about what is haptotherapy? Um, yeah, hapto comes from the word uh, uh, to touch, but to touch in the sense of um, also to make a relation. So I actually use uh, like the massage table and I put people also, they can lie down. And uh, so I actually also touch them like on their backs or their legs or in the place where there's pain, but not like a physiotherapist, but so not to massage the pain away, but just to make them really aware of the reactions in their bodies. So the touch of another human being can help you um, to actually feel in your own body what is going on. And if you touch people in a sort of a safe and uh, effective way, so in a uh, non-invasive or, or uh, yeah, just in the, the, the kind way, they can calm themselves down. You know, they can... They can use sort of me as the other person to to regulate, to regulate their breath, their heartbeat, and to sort of explore like how do I actually feel inside? So I basically feel like a sort of sometimes I feel a bit like a horse whisper. Like 
that although that sounds a bit out there but i i literally mean with an animal that is scared you would not talk to it you would not go like hey dude uh, don't worry the danger is over don't whine you would not do that you would sit with the animal maybe a dog and you would pet it and and just stay with it for a bit and then at a certain point the animal sort of goes ah yeah i'm okay again so with humans it's it's the same thing we share a big part of our brain with uh, mammals and so if if you're just close to somebody and with with some people that are really traumatized of course i don't touch them in the first session you know i i I come a bit closer and <clears throat> we talk like, is this okay? Is this an okay distance? How do you feel now? And so they need to learn how to trust me first. And if they can trust me, they can learn to trust others. So I always feel like I'm sort of the laboratory person. <clears throat> they can start to learn how to trust, start to build a relation with um, having me near and then usually of course the 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 goal of this is that they conclude like ah if this is possible in here then maybe i could tell my friend i need you know maybe an arm around my shoulders or you know maybe i can ask for help a bit more like i don't have to be all by myself and to lean in a bit more how does um, the work of, of touch translate uh, into music and performance? What other differences that you see and sort of maybe common common uh, complaints or and common outcomes, if there are any? Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, I, I made the step to performance coach. It also had to do with <clears throat> sort of things with the health insurance. So I didn't want to be called a hoptotherapist anymore. This was more of a practical reason. Let's say musicians have more these peak moments of tension. And uh, as compared to maybe somebody who works in an office that might have sort of daily tension a little bit. But musicians, they have to work towards an audition or towards a concert. So they have more like these peak moments. And also as a I don't want to speak too generally, but but I feel that musicians, when I speak to them compared to non-musicians, are quite demanding of themselves and are quite the characters that are like, don't whine and come on. And like the other day I had a, a, a girl that said like, oh, I felt I could almost not lift my violin anymore. But I said to myself, like, come on, you you just got this job you just need to do it. And then everything froze up in the neck and shoulders up to the point where she literally couldn't do it anymore. But mm. because of the mindset, you can basically sort of throw yourself into pain and uh, injury. And so that's maybe typical for musicians. So I really try to make them aware of the inner signs of tension or the inner warning so to listen a bit more to their inner compass Mm. because we always get warning signs from our nervous system a bit of a pain in the stomach like a maybe a tight chest Uh, you can feel it in your breath in your throat in your shoulders we always get warning signs before the injury 
uh, if we can listen to it a bit earlier, to the early signs, then I think to there's a lot to be prevented in injuries, uh, in high stress levels. And sometimes it's difficult because that means you might have to sometimes say no to something. And for freelancers, it's difficult, but also for people with a job, they feel so, they are so, they have high work ethics, and, and which is good in itself. It's good to have high worth work ethics, but if you put it so much, then you actually undo the whole effect of it. Do you understand mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, and it has like a knock-on effect in, in the future of yeah. not being able to work so much. Exactly. And then you can have your work ethic, but it doesn't mean, you know, it's not helping you because you're injured. I have this idea of, of like how to create a sustainable, like a healthily sustainable career. And it's something that I think sits at the heart of what I do. Yeah, and that's great. So then yeah. I... I want to ask for you then what helps people to to switch from having to say yes and wanting to say yes not wanting to say no to anything to okay how do I balance this with recognizing and acknowledging the my own physical and mental health as being a hugely important part of the the longevity of my career Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm also so happy that you are doing this and that you're sort of out there sharing this information. And I think it's so important that we get that information out there, that it's not, um, that it's not the only choice, that it's not the only option to just say yes and sort of, oh, I'm in my 20s now. I can give everything to everybody. But, uh, you know, that you don't think when you're in your 30s or in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s. I mean, if all goes right, we, we live to maybe 80 something. And it would be nice if you, you know, if you could actually sustain your career or maybe change it a bit. You'd go to teaching. But also, like if you have a job in an orchestra, maybe you're going to play there for, for the next 20, 30 years and you and you do that with your body and you only have one like you literally have one body you have two arms you have two hands that's it like and and then i understand completely that it's hard to think in that way when you're young so i always preach about this to young people like listen like in the conservatory people are already having um tinnitus like they're they're 20 something and they're like yeah but that's a part of it that's part of being a musician i'm like really you're 22 yeah but we all have it as as uh, uh brass players or as uh percussionists i'm like that's that's not okay you know like just because it, it's yeah. normalized doesn't mean that it's okay. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. And and the problem is if that leads to certain injuries and maybe you play out of tune because of it, or maybe you actually it hurts so much that you have to quit, there are 10, 20, 30 other people waiting in line to replace you. You know, in that sense, it's also not a healthy state of mind to think that. 
I want to be first in line. I just need to squeeze myself out like a lemon and that's it. It's a kind of a physical, physical and, and mental and emotional awareness that I think yeah. musicians and a lot of performers lack in their education. So they subscribe yes. to this grind culture and then find themselves completely ground down to the ground. Yeah, and it's such a waste, a waste of talent and a waste of, of beautiful people and yeah. I've been in a few of your lessons, receiving them as a student. And then back mm -hmm. in, in, in September, October, I, I was watching a few of your lessons. And one of the things that really struck me during these lessons was, I mean, I, I knew that a lot of what you, you do is, is to ask people to focus on this, on certain parts of their body for grounding mm -hmm. or for kind of space a lot of the time it's what, focusing on the space that is around like the back or the shoulders or under the arms yeah and I thought after this I I, I mentioned it to you that body awareness is technique um, yeah. it, it's so much together with it could you talk a little bit about how some of these awarenesses um that's not quite a word um but how becoming aware of of these things yeah. helps with the the work of playing the instrument or, or singing um yeah this is nice that you yeah like the space surrounding your body we all have the capacity of actually feeling the space around it, us you know with your skin like the whole skin on your whole body is um uh oh god so the you have the sense of smell and the sense of sight and the sense of touch and the sense of touch is in your whole skin so it's it's not in our eyes it's in our hands it's in our belly it's in our legs it's in our feet so we can move our attention into our bodies and be very aware of what you're actually doing so how you are actually tensing up your back maybe and or your legs. And this also has to do with this whole fight, flight, freeze thing where our bodies react in a kind of survival way when we're under pressure, which is a healthy mechanism in itself to react to people watching you, for instance. But for instance, a, a flight reaction in the body causes the leg muscles to tense because you want to run so when you're aware of those muscles the running muscles you can consciously relax them but you need to be aware of your legs so then you can relax the muscles in your legs and you can sort of feel the blood flow again to the ground and then your mind this part of your brain will actually think oh i'm not running so I must be calm, so I must be safe. So it's not from here to there, but it's basically from the body teaching your mind that you are sort of in a safe space. And then you can also literally feel that space, the walls left and right, back and front. So you put yourself in that environment and that also regulates the nervous system. And then in the body, like you say, to relax your armpits, is much easier than to relax your shoulders because it's already a soft tissue and immediately you can feel your sides left and right and the temperature between your arms and your sides and 
for instrumentalists is so such an important space this this in your armpits left and right of you because you're constantly moving in that space and then when you move your arms you can actually feel that space almost like you're in water so then the movements itself they be, become more uh, efficient and also the weight of the shoulders uh, is a more natural thing you don't have to push them down but you melt them from the inside out and also for pianists and, and uh, string players, like the weight, natural weight of the shoulders is extremely important to make more forte, to express and to also not get injured. So that's that's a way. And, and I think for singers, yeah, to, to be able to relax your bum, to relax your legs, yeah, to feel your feet, you know, <laughs> uh, to uh, connect with the soles of your feet and to feel the ground. And then also your body will calm down through the touch of you touching the ground. And when you're aware of that, your brain also calms down a bit. Because as a singer, the breath, of course, is extremely important. And when you're in survival mode, breath will be high. Because in survival mode, that makes complete sense. It's a good thing that the breath goes up like when you have to run or when you have to uh, fight. For singing, I mean, you're completely sort of naked with an open belly towards the audience. So um, that in itself will cause some survival reactions so it's so good if you have then your own body as a safe space and the actual space surrounding you to regulate and to be able to to breathe normally or to breathe in a technical way i find it fascinating watching you work with people because i think i often see in 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 students like this realization of how much the body is is kind of in control of things and that a kind of um subconscious well it's a conscious letting go of then allowing the body to do what it knows and in that process yeah well put the, the the mechanisms of playing your instrument of of whether it's an instrument or whether it's singing they become more efficient and so the body can be free to to do its job which is play or sing yeah and it's something that is yeah it's very much a holistic way of of interacting with with the instrument yes but it it's so interesting to see how it changes from okay then in a thinking mode to in a kind of somatic and an incorporated whole way yeah, and it's so interesting because when it's embodied, when 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 sort of this, yeah, flow and and uh, when you regulate it, and when that's in your body, and then you play, the sound immediately responds. So the instrument, whether it be your vocal cords or a violin or a piano, it immediately sort of responds to your touch, and the touch in the fingers when you regulate it is the sort of what do you call the effective touch and not over tensed yeah so the body um is responding to this uh regulated uh what do you call that state like this uh mm. yeah and that immediately and the, the great effect is in the instrument or in the the sound 
that's what that that that's the thing. It always fascinates me. Like people, are like wow, listen to the sound. Like the whole class goes like the sound just changed completely. And to learn how to trust that, because it does feel vulnerable to not uh, keep the control so much. Letting go of control and trust, yeah. I think it's a really big thing. Yeah, that's the holy place, huh? Control, not control. Yeah. For the people who, who suffer quite a lot with performance anxiety, mm. and one of the things that you kind of get them to do is to really talk through what are the processes that are happening so you say a lot and then what and then what um what what is the um idea behind that of kind of getting them to to speak a bit more about what is happening in this moment of anxiety so for me it's important that they understand their own thinking and also that they maybe go through the whole scenario this is a bit philosophical, but in the end, the anxiety is always like fear of being left on the prairie. It's a it's a primal fear. Like mm. any really big anxiety is a primal fear, a fear basically of dying. Like it sounds a bit large, but it that is what it is. So because the whole the whole system uh, protests against this feeling of, oh my God, people are watching me and I'm doing something wrong and I will be uh, cut away from the group, left for the wolves, you know. And if you sort of get that principle, like, oh, my body is trying to warn me for grave danger, and then you can soothe the body, not the thoughts, because basically your reaction is is okay like even if it's really big and this can happen when you're for instance already traumatized or you had a you know you had some bad experiences the body is more uh, triggered than when you grew up in a very safe environment and then usually people can handle this stress better so it 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 differs from person to person but if you sort of get that principle like oh you know i'm i'm basically trying to fight uh rejection and death and if you can sort of go like oh it's i can soothe my heartbeat i can accept the fact that i feel this that's very important because if you get into a fight with what you're feeling you make it worse it's just like throwing oil on flames mm. like i feel this don't feel this it makes you more anxious if there's sort of from the control room uh, punishment for whatever it is that your body is telling you that is difficult so when people are anxious i really try to yeah to actually be in touch with the heartbeat and with the muscle tension and with the hormones you know oh, with all this adrenaline going through your body and then if you can actually sit with that and feel that it's happening it's in the end it becomes much more sort of manageable this is something i think i i took very much from from the lessons that i i had with you on on my erasmus year yeah how do you that, use it well one of the things now for me is um 
I used to be really scared of being nervous, like being nervous or being nervous. <laughs> you're, being, you're scared of being nervous. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like meta nerves. <laughs> exactly, um, yeah. Well, we did a lot of work on my feet and now I, I know mm. for myself that I, I can ground myself more Yeah. And, and really feel into where my feet touch touch the ground. Yeah. And but one of the, the main things, and it's very much to do with, with riding the wave, is instead of fighting and kind of resisting the nerves, yeah. to, to just I, I used to always say it, okay, I'm gonna let them have a little run around. Oh, that's beautiful. Them, yeah, just, just, just give them, them yeah, exactly. Um, and then it, it you know, it's kind of what maybe maximum 30 seconds where exactly. my body is sort of overcome with yeah. with yeah, the like, nerves and <gasps> healing yeah. it all through through the body yeah but then it it kind of dissipates it, it goes exactly and it goes down. yeah i was yeah i use also the metaphor of butterflies like don't have them mm. in a cage let's set them free and of course you will feel them all the way into your spine into your toes into your fingers but at least then they have more space to, yeah, to move and to go through. And taking that image as well, the idea of like it's much nicer to see butterflies flying around free yeah. than it is to see them caged. sort of like in a cage. Yeah. And, and I remember one one particular time when I was really nervous. I was yeah. jumping in, in in as a soloist at the at the last moment in a concert oh. last year. Yeah, that's always. And um, I was really, I was quite sure. Okay, I can, I can do this. Really reassuring myself, I can do this. But I was so nervous, and I was sitting at the side Mm. just before the, uh, before the first aria. Yeah. First solo aria, and I was just there, like, okay, I'm just gonna let all of my nerves. I breathe. I breathe yeah. with my nerves and, and yeah. I just let them be there with me. Oh, and then I amazing. know I can go up and, and, and sing yeah. and do it. And yeah. It was, yeah. It was, it was really nice. I liked the experience as well. Yes. It feels empowering. Totally. Because you manage this, this inner feeling instead of being overwhelmed by it. What's the main thing that you wish can be sort of ingrained as a culture for, for music students in the 21st century? First thing that comes to mind is really this, that they have a bit more kindness towards themselves, to really have more understanding about the brain, the nervous system, the body, like to have a proper understanding of what survival reactions are, like really basic, really scientific, you know, that we are mostly our body and our reactions and we can only do so much with this sort of control feeling. I I hope that when they become teachers, that they give this to their students. I mean, because you say the musicians of the 21st century, and we still have many teachers that that are teaching in a way of this is the way to do it. I know the way to do it. And young people realize more and more that this is, of course, not the case. You can learn great technical skills from great teachers. You can go to different teachers, but this whole old-fashioned system of this is the way to do it. I know I have a personal line with Mozart and this is the way how to do it. This whole fear-based 
it's redundant. We need to do it from the inside out and learn the best technique possible. It's not that you cannot be strict, but you don't need to be nasty to the person. You know, Absolutely. it's yeah, you can you can teach kids in a like you see many examples of kind teachers, and you also see many examples of sort of <clears throat> more this strict way, and they say, No, you need this strict way because that is building great players. But I I don't know, I can argue the same thing the other way. Like you also have amazing talented players that that were not brought up like this. And this kind of relates to the the question that I I like to close off off the interview with is sure. what is your advice to someone who is looking for their authentic artistry? Go into themselves, and to find that sort of light in themselves or or core or essence, and to understand again like ah oh, this is what I wanted to say this is when I listen for instance to Brahms or to Mozart or to Monteverdi I don't care what what rings your bell you know tickles your fancy that that you feel this connection this authentic connection like ah oh, this says something about me also like inform yourself about these things like 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 your uh, uh, channel and my kind of things but also like there's there's books on like the inner game of music and to feel that you're not alone in this and to trust that what you feel with certain music with certain lines with certain art that that is something true Matt, thank you so much it's been it's been so great to, to talk you. to you and, and share a few experiences I really think there is something to take away for all musicians, performers listening to this. No matter what your specialty, I think there are some really good tips around performance anxiety, the body, how to deal with it and how to look after it. Mars is a wonderful teacher and coach, so if you ever get the opportunity to work with her, then I suggest that you take it with both hands. If you are enjoying the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss our weekly uploads. You can also leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you use. And that's really helpful in getting this podcast discovered and listened to by more wonderful creatives. That's it for today. Join us next Friday for the following installment of the Authentic Artistry podcast. Bye.